Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Hug. He is the Global Trading Director at Kitco Metals, uh, which is based in Canada, uh, which is a gold, silver, platinum, and palladium uh, mining firm, uh, uh, trading firm. Welcome to the show, Peter. A pleasure to be here, Jordan. Let's let's start with your uh, background. You've been in the precious metals business for a long time, but give us a little bit of your background uh, coming to Kitco. Well, I, I started in the business in 73 as a foreign exchange dealer for one of the, uh, at that time, the largest global uh, retail precious uh, foreign exchange firms called uh, Deke Pereira. Uh, they were sold uh, to Thomas Cook sometime in the uh, 1980s. Uh, in 76, I joined a uh, bank uh, that was headquartered in Montreal but decided to open up an office in Toronto that uh, wanted to offer foreign exchange and precious metal services uh, to their client base. So I got into the metals business by accident in 76 and uh, was lucky enough to see the uh, sort of the first uh, gold bull market of, of the late 70s where gold hit 850 and silver got up to $50 and was in charge of the uh, trading operation uh, for the bank. Uh, we had some uh, 70 traders on a desk uh, that involved uh, Montreal, Vancouver and Toronto with Toronto being the hub for the trading operation. So I've been in the business uh, uh, since then, in '92, uh, I, uh, I took a sabbatical. I got out of the business, and uh, I, I ran a public company that uh, actually introduced microchip uh, identification for pets in North America. And uh, then uh, consulted for a number of firms uh, in uh, the Far East and uh, in uh, the Cayman Islands uh, throughout the early 2000s. And was approached by Kitco in 2010. That company had grown from uh, seven to almost 240. Uh, personnel, and uh, the owner of the company asked me if I could come in and manage the uh, precious metals division for Kitco, uh, which I've been doing since uh, March of 2010. So tell us a little bit about Kitco. Uh, what makes it different as a way to buy and sell metals than other metals trading firms? Well, just the history uh, you know, is unique in and of itself. I mean, Kitco's been around since 1977. Uh, there's uh, very, very few firms, uh, especially retail firms, uh, that can boast that type of history. So you know, one of the advantages of dealing with a company with that type of history is, uh, you know, we've been able to manage uh, upturns and downturns in the markets. And uh, we got started in the business in uh, in the late 70s doing refining. Uh, we were one of the biggest uh, uh, buyers of uh, raw material from jewelers uh, that we then sent to, uh, you know, places like the Royal Canadian Mint had it refined up. And then from that perspective, we had clients that were asking us if they could buy metals from us. Kitco in the uh, sort of mid-90s was the first precious metals dealers uh, to offer an online service where clients could come in and, and buy uh, precious metals. And we offer a number of services attached uh, to the purchase and sale of metals. Uh, obviously, we deliver metals to clients. Uh, we can uh, store them on a segregated ba basis in a number of countries around the world uh, for clients that not only want uh, asset diversification, but also geographical diversification. Uh, we still have a significant refining side, but what makes Kitco unique is our website, kitco.com. Um, we publish on a daily basis, we get about a, a million unique views a day, uh, unbiased reports on precious metals. Uh, I mean, many, many precious metals dealers that do talk about the markets are almost continuously bullish. Uh, it's not in their interest to suggest the market is going down. 
Uh, we've uh, formed a Chinese wall at Kitco, and Kitco.com publishes uh, um, opinions from a variety of uh, analysts around the world on a daily basis, some of which are bullish, some of which are, are bearish. And uh, it's more an educa- uh, educational tool for our clients so that they can read the reports, try to understand the markets, and then make their own decisions as to whether or not they want to uh, engage in the market. What are the advantages of buying? You do both coins and bars uh, from Kitco compared to other dealers. Is it a, is a markup spread different, or what would be the difference uh, in that? Well, most dealers that are in the precious metals physical business will offer both coins and bars. Um, the difference, uh, again, it, you know, when people ask me, it, it becomes more of a psychological answer that I'm going to give you now. When people ask me, should they buy gold, I, it's, you know, I've been in again since in the business since the 70s. The answer really remains the same. It's really what's your motivation? Um, and we've been able to define that there's uh, potentially three sort of groups uh, that are involved in the in the precious metals markets, uh, specifically North America and uh, more specifically in the U.S. Uh, uh, the first group I'll speak of uh, is, is not that delineated in Canada, but uh, does have a, a significant offtake uh, in the U.S. market. And, you know, the first group I, I would call, uh, you know, the people that... Uh, uh, the investors that are very, very uh, skeptical about holding assets with, uh, you know, banks or on the COMEX or with ETFs, uh, they, they have an instinctual distrust for the system uh, and they want to have their, their physical metals in their possession um, and have it delivered to their home. And that's, mm-hmm. a, significant, that's a, a relatively significant offtake in the U.S. market where there has been a history where the government has made it legal to own gold. And obviously, with the uh, 2008 financial collapse, uh, it scared a lot of people. Uh, so that that group is it seems to be more unique to the to the United States. Uh, you know, there is some a collateral uh, across uh, cross border feeling of that in Canada, but not so much. Uh, Canada's never banned gold ownership, uh, and uh, in the European theater, in in smaller countries such as Cyprus, Portugal, Italy, where some of their financial uh, systems are precarious, uh, that, that feeling also is pervasive. So that's a group that takes off a, a, an amount of physical metal and they tend to buy in small units uh, because their belief is that if this financial system does implode, they will need these uh, smaller units uh, uh, to be able to barter uh, and to effectively trade uh, you know, when the financial system no longer uh, functions. So in that context, uh, you'll find that this group will buy fractional coins, uh, small gram wafers in gold, uh, as opposed to buying the larger bars uh, so that they have uh, more liquidity should uh, you know, Armageddon present itself. Now, the gold market, when you buy physical metals, uh, when you see the price of gold posted in you know, the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times, that's for a 400-ounce gold bar. That's, it's called a standard gold bar. Uh, for any of your audience that's old enough to have seen the movie, uh, it's the gold bars that were uh, displayed in, the, in James Bond's Goldfinger. Yes. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> it, it, they weigh approximately 30 pounds. 
the value of those bars are about a half a million dollars. But that's the standard uh, of uh, trading in gold uh, between the banks and the exchanges is 400-ounce gold bars and, to some extent, 100-ounce gold bars. That would be in Fort Knox, that kind of place, right? That, that kind of place. Or in, right. in large, large bank, uh, precious metal banks such as HSBC or J.P. Morgan, uh, they would have uh, storage facilities that would hold those types of, that type of product. Okay. So the, the general rule of thumb is the smaller the unit, the more expensive it is relative to gold price. And, and that is really a function of the fabrication cost to make that unit. So to give you an example, a 400-ounce gold bar pretty much trades at market, uh, wherever the spot market is on gold, whereas a one-ounce gold bar will command a premium anywhere from, say, 15 to $25 over the price of gold. Okay, and so the, the the dealers compete for that spread. As to some might be fifteen, some might be twenty five yeah, over the spot price. Yeah, it depends on the size of the dealer. You know uh, what your your financial shape is. Uh, you know how uh, how you can manage. Uh, you know, right now over the past three years, it's been relatively easy for most dealers to get into the business because the carry cost on the inventory has been zero with zero interest rates. Uh, but as interest rates go higher, then you know carrying an inventory also generates a cost. Uh, to that inventory uh, of capital. So depending on the size of the dealer, what their capital structure is and how they can uh, obtain inventory and carry inventory will effectively uh, determine their cost. And from that cost, then they, they then determine their spread, taking into mind uh, that there's obviously competition in the market. So it, it, it does pay a client to shop uh, if they're buying gold, uh, just to compare two or three dealers and you know see what uh, one ounce premiums are if they're interested in one ounce gold premiums, and uh, there you know maybe a difference as much as uh, you know maybe five or seven dollars uh, uh, on the on a per ounce basis on the yeah. transaction depending on the dealer they go to. So you're saying there are three types of buyers. The first one is the kind of person who wants to be ready for the apocalypse and doesn't believe in the monetary system, what would be the second one? Second, I, uh, we sort of classify as uh, sort of the conservative investor that, that wants a portion of their, of their portfolio in precious metals. Uh, you know, and that could be in the form of physical precious metals, could be in the form of ETFs, could be in the form of gold mining shares. Uh, but they want, uh, they want some protection in their portfolio. Uh, you know, in the event a 2008 occurs or in the event that inflation takes off, um, so they treat gold not so much as a capital gain investment. They treat gold more as an insurance position. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the analysts, again, ever since gold started trading freely in the early 70s, uh, uh, they sort of parrot that, you know, you should hold 5, 10, 15 percent. Some are a bit more extreme on the percentage of gold you should hold in your portfolio. But they never follow it up uh, with, with, with another sentence. And that sentence is, you know, gold... Uh, is not the end-all, be-all. There's times gold is an excellent investment, and there's times it's a lousy investment. But what you need to do is if you're going to have gold as part of your portfolio, then you should also balance your portfolio on a regular basis. And a lot of people that buy gold as a portfolio diversifier don't do that. And, and, and I'll tell you what happens. You know, you get somebody that might have bought gold at $850 prior to the financial collapse in 2008. And let's pick a round number. Let's assume that client wanted 10% or that, that gold that he purchased at in 2008 represented 10% of the portfolio. Well, when gold hit in 
2011 hit $1,925, it was likely that that gold that uh, the client had purchased in 2008 was likely a lot more than 10% of the portfolio. It might now be at 18%. Because it had gone up in value so much, it, yes. Yeah, it, and it more than doubled. So at that point, what you've got to do is you've got to look at it and then say, okay, I've got to rebalance my portfolio. My, my process here is to hold 10% in gold, so I need to sell 8% of my gold position. You're saying most people never do that. In they never do it. They just hold on to it. So, you know, and then gold goes from $1,900, which it was in 2011, back down to $1,000 in 2015. And they're looking at it saying gold's a bad investment. And, but, but the logic of why they bought the gold uh, was misplaced. If it was, a, yes. you know, a hedge and a percentage of your portfolio, you need to calibrate it. Likewise, if you, in 2011... Bought gold at 1925. Then in 2015, gold was at 1,050. Uh, it's likely that uh, it wasn't 10 percent anymore. It might have only been four or five percent of your portfolio. Yeah, at that it's, point, it's, it's you classic buy. rebalancing of your portfolio. Actually, That's here, yeah, exactly right. And if you do yeah. that, you'll tend to uh, you'll you'll tend to lighten up on your gold hedge as the as your uh, as the market rises and uh, increase your gold hedge again, always within that 10 percent parameter as the price weakens. Uh, we need to take a break, Peter. Uh, we'll be uh, right back. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Peter Hug. Uh, he is the Global Trading Director at Kitco Metals, uh, based in Canada, uh, an expert on gold. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Hug. He's the Global Trading Director at Kitco, an expert on gold and other precious metals. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Thank you, Jordan. So we talked about the two kinds of investors first, which is kind of the conservative investor using it to have a certain amount of his portfolio, maybe 10% in gold. 
The second one kind of motivated by fear. Who was the third kind of investor? Though that that I would uh, that group of investors we call the trader, and uh, you know a trader is not loyal to the market. Uh, they could be bullish uh, at nine in the morning and bearish at nine o five in the morning. Uh, the full extent of what the trader is looking for in the market is uh, the same as when he's buying Apple stock or buying bonds. He's looking to make a capital gain. Uh, traders are looking for the least expensive vehicle and the closest to the actual market value of the vehicle that they're trading. They don't want to pay exorbitant spreads. Uh, and have to recover, for example, fabrication costs before they're in the money. So you'll see traders uh, oriented uh, uh, mostly towards the futures market, options markets, uh, to some extent ETFs, and uh, some of the more aggressive uh, traders, uh, I'll use that word a little loosely, uh, into the mining shares, uh, especially the juniors. Just to talk about the tax aspect of this for a moment, if you buy and sell gold for less than a year, that is to be taxed as regular income in the United States, and if you hold it longer for, than a year as a capital gain, is that correct? I'm not an expert in U.S. tax, but I do not believe that to be correct. Uh, gold, for example, does not uh, does not include the 20-day wa- uh, wash rule, which you have on stocks if you're looking for a capital loss or gain at, uh, at the year end. You, uh-huh. can, uh, you can buy gold or you can sell your gold, take your capital loss, and buy it back five minutes later, and it does not it is not applicable to the wash rule. So gold transactions uh, from a a return perspective uh, would be, uh, in my opinion, uh, applied, uh, physical gold we're talking about now, uh, would be uh, a capital gain event. uh, No matter how long you hold it, you're saying? Correct. But I mean, you have an advantageous capital gains tax rate that's lower than the regular income rate. Correct. So you're saying even if you're trading in and out, you're going to be taxed at capital gains uh, at the end of the year? Correct. That does not necessarily apply to gold equities. Again, I'm not a tax expert there, and it may not apply to gold ETFs, but it does apply to gold physical. Uh-huh. Well, that's an advantage over other things, because if you're constantly getting capital gains ta- treatment, that's better than regular income uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's kind of go into the the, the gyrations of gold. It, it, it peaked at about 1900 or so. I guess it was 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it went down to just about 1,000. Uh, now it's back up near 1300 Just kind of briefly go through why it went as high as 1900 first and why it went down to about 1000 and why you think it's coming back to around 1300 now. Well, I think what happened when, uh, when it first ran uh, after the uh, financial, uh, we'll call it a collapse because that's what it was in 2008, was that, uh, you know, the central banks on a global basis uh, went about to uh, just... Uh, infuse the uh, the global capital markets with massive liquidity. Uh, they brought interest rates down to zero, uh, and uh, the economies were still wavering. There was still uh, there was still geopolitical risk uh, in Europe. There were there was risk in the financial sector, even though interest rates were coming down to zero, and gold was looked on as a safe haven play and uh, basically accelerated uh, from 2008 to 2011. Uh, 2011, when it hit its high, the Federal Reserve came out and indicated uh, that they were going to start a tapering process uh, where they were going to reduce their bond buying to reduce the liquidity in the market and were then going to embark on a more normalization path for interest rates. Uh, and that took gold from 1925 down to uh, their, the first Fed rate hike in December of 2015, almost down to about $1,040 dollars. 
Since then, um, the, prior to now, there's another sort of breakup here in the history. Prior to Trump being elected, uh, there was uh, an, an impression that Trump would not get elected and Hillary Clinton would probably have status quo and that the Federal Reserve would probably remain relatively um, accommodative in its uh, monetary policy. Uh, and so that led up to the uh, Trump uh, inauguration. And at that point, um, there was a strong feeling when Trump uh, was inaugurated uh, or when he got elected back in November, gold was trading up at about 1350. Um, there was, when he was elected, there was a strong feeling that he would, well, I don't know how to say it a better way. People believed that he would deliver on his promises, and his promises included massive tax cuts, uh, massive infrastructure spending. Uh, everybody assumed that would be extremely good for the economy. That would be extremely negative for rates in the sense that the Fed would now be forced to raise rates quicker. Mm -hmm. And uh, once he got elected, that perception caused gold to sell off from 1350 down to about $1,160 December of uh, 2016. So normally you'd think of the, all that strong economic growth being the so-called reflation trade, meaning along with higher interest rates, there'd be higher inflation with more economic growth. You'd normally think that would be good for gold to have more inflation. You would, but inflation has been muted. Uh, and uh, so they believe, uh, the, the market believes that inflation is still relatively under control. And this is slightly different than the scenario we've had in the 70s when, when inflation took off. Uh, today, the productivity gains from technology is offsetting to a large extent some of the inflationary forces that are, uh, that are being caused or, or could be caused by this higher growth momentum. But since, since Trump got elected, there's been obviously a number of stumbles. Uh, the health care reform didn't go through. Now, that in and of itself would not seem to be that, that relevant, but health care was critical, in my opinion, to... Uh, Trump's policies because the money that they were going to generate from that health care revamp was going to go towards the tax plan. So now they don't have that. And so you have a situation now where the market is uncertain. And I'm not even talking about geopolitical risks now with things like Syria and North Korea, but just the economics of it. So the, the stock market has been on a tear since Trump got elected all in anticipation that these programs would come to fruition relatively early in his uh, administration. It doesn't appear that this is going to be the case. So now the stock market looks a little top heavy and I think that's caused some money managers to diversify some of their capital assets uh, away from the stock market, at least in part, and park some of it in gold, again, just as a more as a hedge than anything else. And that's very evident in the ETF inflows over the past uh, six months. They've gone up uh, uh, almost 40% in the last six months, which indicates that the big money managers are still buying ETFs as a hedge against the portfolio in their equity side. So go through the logic of this. So say the tax cuts do not happen, the infrastructure does not happen, Trump's agenda does not happen for the disappointment reasons and for healthcare and everything you just said. So it seems to me that would be deflationary, not inflationary. Or the, the but what you're looking at is capital, capital movement, and the capital will then leave the equity market because the equity market is priced to perfection right now. 
You're going to have a drop in the equity market. That will probably spur the Fed to reverse policy on increasing interest rates and probably go back to an easing mode, which then again would be beneficial for gold. Uh, okay, if they're easing, that that is to some extent reflationary, you're saying? Easing would be reflationary, and the problem with easing is then you have the interest rate differential between the dollar and the European currencies start to narrow again, which would be negative for the dollar. Commodities are priced in dollar terms. As the dollar weakens, gold would also get a lift from a weaker dollar. So there's a certain kind of counterintuitive view of this, because normally you'd think a stronger economy would be very good for gold, more inflation higher growth in various ways, right? Uh, and, and then you're saying if, if that doesn't happen, it's good for gold because really more out of money flows than uh, and kind of instead of economic policy. Is that right? You'll get gold to go up in a reflation trade only if, if the Fed is behind the curve on inflation. And right now they're not behind the curve. So if I mean, Fed some would say that they are, that we, ha- we only have the Fed funds at 1%. Some would say, it should be at three percent, or you know, we've we've had such low interest rates for so long that they have a lot of catching up to do. Well, that they're still currently at one percent. They're still at easy money, but uh, they're looking at potentially three more increases this year, and they're also looking to potentially trim their four trillion dollar balance sheet by fifty percent, which in essence would be the equivalent of another two to three interest rate increases from a tightening perspective within the monetary system. So when interest rates go up, that's usually bad for gold. Is that correct? Generally bad for gold, unless interest rates are going up on a catch-up basis to inflation like what happened in the 70s. So that's not what you're saying is happening now, because you're saying inflation is staying relatively low because of technological progress. That's what I believe, yes. So higher interest rates from the Fed is actually negative for the economy, but you're saying positive for gold. it would be negative for the economy. It depends on the growth picture. So if Trump were to deliver on his on his promises, and if you remember, one of his promises are that if he gets everything done, he's going to see GDP at 4%. Yes. Uh, if, if you get that type of growth in the economy, then normalization in interest rates, and I don't mean interest rates at 8%, interest rates at 3 or 4% is not going to be negative for the economy, but it definitely will be a headwind for gold. And that's the way the market perceives it, right? So what you're saying with the, that gold having taken off recently to approach 1300 is a, is a certain way the market telling you that Trump's policies are not going to be successful, not going into effect. That is it. I, I believe that the uh, the equity market still to some extent believes it, but the the big money out there is a little nervous that he's going to be able to deliver and as, as a result have hedged some of that portfolio in gold. Now, interest rates on long bonds have come down pretty sharply recently, from about 2.6 to 2.2, something like that. Is that also a vote from the markets that the Trump policies are not going to happen? No, I think that's more geopolitical. I think when you have a situation like uh, you know the, the rhetoric that's now going on with, uh, with North Korea uh, and with, uh, you know, with what happened in Syria, uh, the market gets a little nervous, takes a bit of capital off the table in the equity markets and looks for safe haven. Where's safe haven? They go into the uh, treasury yields and they go into short-term bonds. And uh, that's going to drop the yield in bonds. Uh, as soon as some comfort redevelops, uh, if, if there were some kind of uh, ratcheting down of rhetoric between North Korea and, the, and America, and if China were able to do something on behalf of the U.S. with North Korea, I think you'll see the, uh, the bond yields go back up and probably uh, surpass 2.5 on the 10-year. So it's a safety trade. It's a flight to safety, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Peter Hug. Uh, he is the Global Trading Director at Kitco Metals, based in Canada, uh, clearly an expert on gold and precious metals. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Hug. He's the Global Trading Director at Kitco Metals. Uh, the website for them uh, with all kinds of information about gold is kitco.com. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Thank you. So let's take a look at the role of gold and uh, the dollar and treasuries as safe havens. In the past, like in the late 70s, uh, when inflation was going up, gold was the go-to place. You had the oil embargo and all those kind of things. But lately, in the last few years, it seems whenever there was an international crisis of any kind, that the dollar did well and treasury bonds did well, bond prices going up, yields going down, instead of gold. What is the relationship of of bonds to gold as safety havens these days? Uh, currently, I think the, uh, the the safe haven play right now is is more a geopolitical risk uh, with what is happening uh, with North Korea and uh, you know some of the actions with Syria. Uh, so I would consider uh, gold is is benefiting more from that psychology of a safe haven play. Uh, the bond market. Uh, you know, it is an instrument that, that where, where if investors get nervous, uh, they tend uh, they tend to move to the bond market in short term uh, instruments such as treasuries and possibly as far out as 10 years. And, and the bond market, I think, is trading to some extent inversely to the equity market. As long as the equity market shows strength, I think the bond market yields will rise. Uh, and when equity markets run into trouble, I think there is just some capital that gets diversified out. And what would get, what generally happens is people will take money off the table in the, in the equity markets and then they'll deploy them into the, into the bond or short-term uh, uh, T-bill market and uh, then reverse that trade when they're comfortable again and entering the equity market. So, uh, you know, the bond market is more a trading vehicle, whereas gold is more a safe haven vehicle for people that believe that something pretty dramatic is about to happen. How does gold relate to the U.S. value of the U.S. dollar against other currencies as a safety haven? I mean, typically the U.S. dollar, whether it be stocks, bonds, real estate, other assets, has been a, a safety haven as well. So how does the dollar's movements affect uh, gold and vice versa? Well, 
Well, you know, I, I'm not sure you can make that correlation. I think people have made that correlation since the 70s that, you know, a stronger dollar is negative for gold and a weaker dollar is positive for gold. That's not always the case. Uh, and again, it, it depends on what theater you're looking at. And uh, when they had the Greek uh, crisis a couple of years back in, in the EU, uh, the dollar started to strengthen as, as people sold their euro uh, euros and they bought uh, dollars. Uh, but I, I think dollar strength is more related to U.S. economic growth and the U.S. equity market. And if the U.S. equity market is in an up move uh, and has a trajectory for higher prices, what you have is the uh, international market, money managers in the international markets, uh, forced to sell their currencies to buy dollars to engage in the U.S. market. And that in and of itself feeds a stronger dollar. And it's not so much a, a safe haven play, it's, it's more a capital play uh, from, uh, from foreign money managers investing in the U.S. market as opposed to their domestic market. So what would happen if there was a geopolitical event? Let's take Korea, which is probably the most likely one. Uh, I mean, Kim Il-ung does, does not seem like he's backing down at all. He's firing off missiles. He's showing off his latest hardware all the time. Uh, he doesn't seem to be backing off at all. What if either he does something or even the United States does something preemptively or China does something preemptively? Uh, how would that affect the gold price and the bond market and uh, the stock market? Well, you know, we've never been here before. I mean, you know, it's one thing uh, the U.S. amassing an army and walking into Iraq and, it's in a, you know, and, and walking into Syria and, uh, you know, flying their fighter jets and uh, throwing a few tanks on the ground with, uh, you know, 10,000 troops and having a conventional war. In North Korea, you just don't know the answer because this guy does have nuclear capability. He might not have uh, inter uh, ICBM capability yet, but he certainly has nuclear capability. And it really depends on, on what his what his response would be. And I doubt it would, I, I highly doubt it would be a conventional war. Uh, he might be, uh, I don't know how else to say this, crazy enough to push the button. Uh, and we've never been there before. And uh, I mean, I couldn't even hazard a guess what would happen. I can tell you that gold would go through the roof. I can tell you that I would think stock markets around the world would collapse. Um, and I guess money would flow into the uh, government treasuries in the U.S. and bring yields back to zero. Uh, but the extent of the move uh, would really depend on the uh, size of the of, of the confrontation. Mm -hmm. uh, if they could contain it to, uh, this sounds odd to say it this way, but if they could c contain it to a conventional war, soldier on soldier, um, then I think the event would cause gold probably to move up three, four hundred dollars pretty quickly, probably have an impact on the stock market of maybe 2,000 points, uh, and then we would see how it would end. But the question is, I don't know how it ends when you have two powers that basically have nuclear capability. It's just never been tested before. So you think nuclear war is good for gold, is what you're saying? It's good for gold. Well, it, <laughs> it might be good for gold, but it's not going to be good for anybody else. I mean, I mean everything, uh, you know, from a financial perspective, a financial systems perspective, there would be a major meltdown. Yeah, and gold would go higher. Uh, uh, I mean, if you're buying gold because you want to be rich, 
because you're hoping for a nuclear war in Korea, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm, I, my mindset doesn't work like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, if that did happen, uh, yeah, I couldn't quantify how high it would go, but it would obviously be considerably higher than it is right now, and it would be very negative for equity markets around the world and positive for uh, treasuries as people would just be looking to put their money anywhere safe uh, and, uh, you know, hoping to God that the contagion didn't spread. I mean, it, it, it's such a horrendous event, it's almost it's almost impossible to quantify. If something like that were to happen, I mean, some people say the entire global system is over-leveraged. There's just too much debt out there. Uh, and a lot of things are kind of very shaky, the Italian banks, and there's just lots of places that are very shaky. Would something like that kind of put us over the edge, and some people say a bigger uh, financial meltdown than 2008? Uh, I would, uh, again, I mean... I mean Totally uncharted waters. If, if you're asking me for a, a yes or no guess, I would say yes. I would make 2008 look relatively mild. Okay, and in that case, what would happen to gold? On the on the not the geopolitical, but on the financial meltdown. On a financial meltdown, I think you'd see gold take out the 2011 high with no issues because the Federal Reserve would have no issues except to go to negative interest rates. They would have to put as much liquidity into the system as possible to keep the banks from imploding. Um, so yeah, gold would take off. Uh, it, yeah. But it would it would not be an inflationary event, right? I mean, even though the no, Fed it, might be very weak, be, very it would, be, it would be a fear trade event, and uh, you know the. You know, a lot of people don't talk about this because it really doesn't happen that much anymore. Uh, but, you know, back in, in the early 70s, uh, you know, when, uh, when the U.S. pulled out of uh, Vietnam, uh, when I was dealing with the, when I was working for that foreign exchange dealer, they had a small uh, gold operation in Guam. And the South, uh, South Vietnamese that were able to get out of the country came out of their country with literally all they had was their clothes on their back. And in their pockets, they had... Uh, Gold tails, spelled T-A-E-L-S, and there, there were three slivers of gold. They looked about the size of a $1 bill, two of them, and the other one was a half a size of a dollar bill. And that was their wealth, and when they got that wealth out, they were able to convert that wealth into a local currency and at least have something to start again. So, you know, in the context of a global configuration uh, where, you know, people are looking to go somewhere, uh, you know... The, the, the capital that they, they own, you know, whether it's euros or Japanese yen, uh, it, you know, they could be worthless uh, in the financial system. So they're going to be looking for something portable and something that maintains its value. And, uh, you know, they'll be buying, they'll have gold or have, will be buying gold in the anticipation that they might need to take that gold somewhere else to restart. I know so it's it's sounds, it sounds no, like... It's happened. This has happened many it times. It has what? happened. And again, yeah. and that could happen again. And, you know, I, I sort of... You know, I, I don't mean to laugh when I go to conferences and I speak at them and there's other, uh, uh, you know, people at the conferences that are making projections of $10,000 gold price. I mean, yeah, given the right circumstance, $10,000 gold price certainly can happen. But, I mean, it would be in the context of the world as we know it right now, um, the system as we know it right now, basically not functioning anymore. So do you think the system is over-leveraged and, and weak, or, or, or has it been strengthened by what the Federal Reserve has done in the last few years? And what is your sense of the, the strength of the worldwide global financial system now? I, I think it's still, uh, especially in Europe uh, and especially in Italy, uh, some of the weaker uh, Euro countries, Italy, Spain, Portugal, I, you know, I think the banking system is still somewhat ten, uh, tentative. Uh, in the U.S., I think the financial systems are stronger than they were in 2008. 
but an event like you described, uh, I don't think they could withstand that. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I've heard the end of world scenarios since the 70s when inflation was running at 18 percent. Uh, and uh, back in uh, 80, uh, 92, when the SNL crisis hit the U.S. and all the savings and loans went bankrupt within a year and a half. So, you know, there have been sort of these types of events that have suggested the end of the financial system was occurring. Uh, but what the governments will do, well, they'll just keep printing money and uh, they'll just uh, try to keep the system afloat as, 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 as best as they can, assuming that there's no uh, uh, insurrection, civil insurrection, uh, then you know, the system will continue uh, to the best of its ability. One of the big possible uh, uh, events coming up here is uh, the European breakup, you might call it. I mean, Brexit's already happening. The French may vote for Marine Le Pen and bring France out of Europe. What would happen, how would that affect gold if Europe, the EU, in effect, breaks up? I think if, if Le Pen gets in, I, I don't think she will, but if she does, uh, I, I think the effect uh, is, uh, you know, France is important. Uh, it'll take a while uh, if she does get elected for France even to get to a point where there would be a vote for leaving the EU. Uh, my concern, uh, ironically, uh, if she were to win the French election is what might happen in Italy. There the banks are, uh, uh, and, and the people are, are, are a bit more of an issue. Uh, the, the banks are, are a bit more of an issue, and the people there tend not to be doing well under the uh, euro currency system. If the eurozone breaks up, uh, the capital dislocation that will occur from that, I think, will be tremendous, uh, and uh, there would be some severe financial. Uh, there would be a severe financial crisis, in my opinion, in Europe. And, you know, again, Americans and Canadians, you know, they, they always, they tend to perceive the gold market as something that is, uh, that is localized. It's not. It's a global market. Uh, you know, I mean, Europeans, if, if they get into a situation where they have fears similar to what the Americans had in 2008, uh, are certainly capable of taking this gold market considerably higher with their buying power. And if the EU breaks up and there is any financial disruption over there to their system, uh, they will be buying gold en masse on the European continent. And Particularly from the weaker countries, you're saying, in Italy yeah. and Greece and, and Spain and, and Portugal. Yeah, anybody that thinks the system will break apart uh, will be buying gold over there. And probably buying gold, not so much they'd be buying physical gold, but a lot of them would be buying gold on a geographical basis and probably buying it from American or Canadian dealers and storing their gold in North America. Because they would be worried about kind of financial implosion in the weaker countries there. Absolutely, yeah. Was that true with Greece? Were there a lot of Greeks buying gold when the Greek system was going under such strain? Yeah, the banks there, they had to run on the cash, and uh, there was a lot, uh, the physical activity in the gold market, the physical marketing in uh, Greece picked up tremendously while they were going through that crisis. Uh, the same happened in Cyprus when the banks basically uh, took 80% of the deposits. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Europeans have a history, or uh, let me rephrase that, they have a memory of what it's like when things fall apart. I mean, uh, you know, the uh, North America... Uh, you know, we participated in the wars, but we've never had a war in our home country. Uh, they have. Uh, Germany knows what hyperinflation is from the 1920s. They have long memories over there. So when they see something going wrong, uh, they have much more of an inclination to move towards gold than even the North Americans do. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Peter Hug. He is the Global Trading Director at Kitco Metals. Uh, their website is kitco.com. We'll be back after this.
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Peter Hug. He is the Global Trading Director at Kitco Metals, based in Canada, uh, their website, kitco.com. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Thank you, Jordan. So what are the advantages of doing physical gold, as we've talked about bars and coins, compared to gold equities uh, or gold exchange-traded funds like uh, GLD, which is so popular these days? Well, you know, normally when I say this, I'm always worried about getting fired. Uh, but, you know, uh, buying physical gold uh, is not my ideal way of, of participating in the gold market. Again, uh, if you believe that the system is untrustworthy and you don't want to hold gold with the dealer, you don't trust ETFs, uh, you don't trust uh, you know mutual funds, uh, or you don't trust the system generally, uh, then you really don't have an option but to buy physical gold. Uh, so, But if you're buying gold as an investment, uh, again, gold to me is as good as or as bad as Apple, uh, IBM, Microsoft. There's times you want to be in the market aggressively and times when you want to be lighter uh, in the trade. Um, when you buy equities uh, in gold, um, I tend to like the majors um, that have a history of producing. They have positive cash flow. You don't tend to get the same leverage on the move that you would on a junior. Uh, but my rule of thumb with buying junior mining shares is you buy 10, expect 8 to go bankrupt and maybe you'll get a home run with one and maybe you make some money on the other. Um, I, I'm not a, a fan of junior mines that haven't come to production yet. Uh, so again, if you're an investor in gold uh, for the purposes of balancing your portfolio uh, or uh, hedging your portfolio or buying gold from a capital gains perspective, the least the least best way to do that is to buy physical only because you're paying a relatively high spread. So uh, it's relatively incidental, but still, if you're buying a one ounce gold bar, you're paying anywhere from one to two percent over the market. So uh, you know you need to get that back uh, on 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 the gold price going higher before you break even. And now you've got to worry about well, okay, now I've had it chipped to me. Now I've got to worry about shipping it back to the dealer. Or if you have it in segregated storage, then you've got to pay storage fees. So it's not the most practical way to buy gold as an investment from the perspective of, of return. Yeah. Now, people do talk about the ETF, GLD particularly. Uh, is it trustworthy? Is it not? I mean, they do have physical gold there. Do you think it's trustworthy? Or, or I mean, some people say, like, in the, the fine print of their prospectus, uh, 
they have a way of getting out of it or something. What is your view on the trustworthiness of the ETFs and gold? There's been some recent noise about ETFs. Uh, we're trying to do our own research on it where, uh, you know, you buy an ETF and you obviously have the option of selling the ETF at, at, at current market. Uh, and, and the carry cost on an ETF works out to about a third, a third of a percent per year, so it's not uh, outrageous. Uh, but we had some clients call us on their ETF saying, look, I've asked for delivery, and the manager of the ETF has said it would take anywhere from a month to two to get delivery. Uh, that concerns me a little. Um, you, know, I, you know, it's a client telling me that they've had this issue, so uh, we're doing uh, sort of our own sort of investigation on it to, to see if that, if that is absolutely true or not. So you're uh, saying there may not be enough gold. I mean, as you said, there's been huge inflows into ETFs lately. Yeah, you're saying they may not have enough gold to meet uh, the redemption requests. Yeah, it's sort of again. You know, when when you go into an ETF, the gold that's backing that ETF is not in in one ounce little wafers and and uh, you know gram wafers and five ounce bars. It's the smallest unit it's likely to be in is 100-ounce bars and more than likely to be in 400-ounce bars. So you can imagine somebody that has an ETF, I don't know, with four units and wants to take delivery. Let's say the four units are worth four ounces of gold. So they call their manager and they say, well, they want four ounces of gold. Well, you know, this ETF manager's now got to go out and he's got to get it's not four practical. yeah it's he's not got practical. to get four ounces of gold from somewhere to deliver to the client so in that context i could see why there might be a delay uh why you would take delivery of an etf backed uh, gold position doesn't make sense to me because uh, the etf in their fine print uh, uh will tell you that if you are taking delivery of smaller units you're going to pay fabrication costs delivery costs you know if you're going to do that you might as well buy physical gold from a dealer in the first place Yes. If you're buying an ETF, uh, you know, I don't think you should be looking at the ETF as a delivery mechanism. Use it as a trading vehicle. Uh, and if you are looking for delivery, then stay away from the ETF and go into physical right away because in the end, you're going to end up paying the same price anyway. Let's talk about silver briefly. Silver's also had a move, not as much as gold, uh, but silver trades more of an industrial metal than a precious metal. What is your outlook for silver in, in the environment we've been talking about here? Well, silver's actually outperformed gold since uh, December of, uh, of uh, 20, uh, 2016 when gold was at 1000 uh, I'm sorry, 1100 and roughly $50. If you look at the return on gold, give or take, is about 14%. Silver at that time was at 1420 So silver's come, uh, come up some, give or take, about 30%. Uh, so silver over the past uh, uh, six months has outperformed gold. Uh, and silver tends to do that. It'll outperform gold on the upside, but it'll also outperform gold on the downside. Um, what you want to look at with silver uh, is um, two elements. I think gold, uh, silver will move with gold. So if gold does go higher, silver will move with gold, sometimes to a greater degree, sometimes less. But because silver has an industrial component to it, you want to look at other things such as, uh, you know, how are the Chinese, uh, how's the Chinese economy doing? Is it starting to turn around? Uh, they're big buyers of raw material. Uh, you know, maybe silver uh, gets a boost from industrial demand over and above investment demand. So, you know, silver, uh, silver can outperform gold uh, at times uh, and it makes a better investment than gold. If, again, if you're trading it from a capital gains perspective. What we found in silver, which is an anomaly since I've been in this business since the 70s, is this is the, there seems to be a relatively large supply of silver physical on the market in small bars. 
Mm-hmm. And that has really brought the premium down. I mean, generally, you buy a hundred ounce. To give you the same uh, analogy, uh, silver to gold. Uh, when I uh, indicated gold was uh, treated in four hundred ounce standard bars, silver is treated in one thousand ounce standard bars. Uh, and you can buy one thousand ounce standard bars of silver relatively close to market. Now, the next size down for silver under the thousand uh, ounce bar uh, is a hundred ounce bar. And 100-ounce bars of silver have traditionally traded anywhere from 85 to $1.25 premium over the spot price of silver. Uh, but you can get silver 100-ounce bars from uh, recognized refiners right now as uh, inexpensively as about 40 cents over spot. So if, you're, if you've been tempted to buy physical silver but been sort of dissuaded because of the higher premium uh, – relative to the market in percentage terms, uh, this would be an opportunity to pick up some physical silver at relatively inexpensive premiums. How about platinum and palladium, two of the other metals that you uh, trade at Kitco? What is the outlook for those? Yeah, again, uh, they are industrial-based. Uh, palladium uh, has soared uh, over the past four months. It's up almost $200. Platinum, however, uh, uh, because of the uh, issues with uh, diesel uh, engines in uh, Europe, uh, and platinum is more used on the diesel engine than palladium is. Uh, the demand for platinum is has f- fallen relative supply, whereas the demand for palladium has risen relative supply. So you've had platinum. Uh, again, I've never seen this uh, uh, in the history of, of, of me trading in the market since the 70s. Platinum is actually right now at a $300 discount to gold. Uh, normally, platinum trades at a premium to gold. So, so is that a bargain, you think? If you believe the global economies are starting to take hold and the Chinese economy has bottomed and is starting to regroup itself, I think platinum is a much better buy on gold. And now on the exchanges, you can actually play the ratio and protect yourself. You can do a platinum gold spread where you're selling platinum. I'm sorry, you're selling gold and buying platinum. So then you're just paying the differential. So you're selling it. Let's say right now you're selling gold and buying platinum. You're picking up a $300 premium. But this is a, a play on reflation and a worldwide economic growth, not a, a war with North Korea, right? Correct. Well, platinum, again, you, you, all the metals will go up with gold. So if gold goes up because there's a war with North Korea, platinum won't go down while gold is moving up. Platinum will move up with it. But if you wanted a... a a growth play and you believe that the economies, global economies are turning the corner and there's going to be more demand for industrial commodities, uh, the platinum gold spread right now looks interesting. But I mean, a, a war with North Korea would not be good for economic growth, right? The, uh, Absolutely not, no. But, again, <laughs> but, but you, would still, you would still have a sympathy move. Now, maybe then platinum goes from a $300 discount to gold to a $400 discount to gold, but if gold goes up $500, platinum will still go up 300 very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Peter Hug. Uh, he's the Global Trading Director at Kitco Metals based in Canada. You can find out more about him at his website, kitco.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Peter. My pleasure, Jordan. Thanks so much, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.